we're in for a homecoming this morning. We're going to watch our hero, Jacob, go back home. He's been for 20 years away from home. In the land of Iran, he's been working and working and working. And now, this morning, God's going to tell him to go home. If you want to take notes, page 10 and 11 of your new study uh, has has a place for you to take notes. And before we open God's word, let me pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we long for the day when our Father will welcome us home. We long for the day when our big brother Jesus will bring us safely home. Holy Spirit, we ask you to continue the work in our hearts to give us an awareness of your great love and our adoption to sonship as a part of your forever family. We offer you this time, we open your word to hear from you. We ask you, to be exalted in our midst, King Jesus. We pray in your name alone. Amen. I invite you to turn to Genesis 31. And and Jacob has been gone for 20 years, and he's going home. But you know, life has a way of humbling us, doesn't it? And Jacob is not the same man 20 years after leaving Canaan that he is going back home. Life has humbled Jacob. And that's our point this morning, is that life humbles us. I've sure learned that. Life has a way of humbling all of us. I mean, marriage. Marriage has humbled me. 24 years, Sue Ellen and I have been married. It's humbled me. And parenting has humbled me. Seeing Madeline up here, I have a Madeline. A few weeks ago, we went to New York City. We, we married Madeline to her new husband. And I got to officiate the wedding. Parenting has humbled me. Ministry has humbled me. Oh, all the ways that I've disappointed my Father in heaven and, and all the ways that I've disappointed others. And the Father's never disappointed me. Ministry has been humbling. Life humbles all of us. And Jacob is going to show us all along his trip home, starting in Genesis 31 and going all the way through to his homecoming to meet Esau, his brother. God wants us to learn to be humble. So let me ask you a question. And it's the question I'm asking myself. Have I learned the humility? Have I learned the humility that God wants my life to teach me? That's the first question we're going to ask this morning. The second question is this. Where am I going to get it? Where am I going to get the humility that God wants my life to teach me? And then the third question is this. If God gives me the humility... What am I going to do with it? Do I have it? Where do I get it? And what am I going to do with it? That's where we're going this morning. So turn to Genesis 31 and let's get started. Verse 1, Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and from what belonged to our father 
he has made all his wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Laban's sons are jealous of Jacob. His riches have led to the poverty of Laban's family. His wealth has been taken from them. And God tells Jacob, return to Canaan. Get out of the land of Haran. Jacob obeys God. The lesson of Jacob's life is that humble people obey God. Jacob obeys, verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field and said to them, I see your father's attitude that it is not friendly toward me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. If he spoke thus, well, he did not allow me to hurt me. We'll stop there. So Jacob obeys God. He calls his wives to him and he says, we're going home. We're leaving your father, and they say, do whatever the Lord has called you to do. Obey God. And humble people learn that obeying God is the best option. Obeying God is the best thing, because God is wiser than we are. His ways are better than our ways. And he says, obey me. And Jacob says, yes. He learned humility through his obedience. Do you have that kind of humility? Do I? Verse 22 of chapter 31. When, he when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, then he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him a distance of seven days journey. And he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. God came to Laban the Aramean, in a dream of the night, and said to him, Be careful that you do not speak to Jacob either good or bad. Jacob is protected by God from Laban. God himself shows up and he speaks to Laban and he says, Laban, do not speak harm to Jacob. God is protecting, God is preserving, God is at work to watch over Jacob and to preserve his life. And oh, if we would grow in humility, it would be when we realize that God is superintending over all things to protect us, to preserve us. He's working for our good. Our God causes all things to work together for good. But you say, and, and I say, if God is so working, in my life, to protect me, then why is life so hard? You don't, understand the, you don't understand the pains that I have. You don't understand the suffering that I'm going through. You don't understand the difficulty that I face. And Jacob would agree. In verse 38, after Laban and Jacob meet, 
Laban explains to Jacob that God has appeared to him. And Jacob is beginning to realize that God has been working, but he has a complaint. He's just like us. These 20 years I've been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. That which was born of beasts I did not bring to you, torn of beasts I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it myself. You required it at my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. I was by day, the heat, thus I was, by day the heat consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. Jacob complains. He says, it's been hard. Life has been hard. 20 years I've worked. 20 years, 14 for my wives, 6 for my flocks. It's been hard. It's been difficult. But he learns the lesson of humility. Life has humbled, Jacob. These 20 years I've been in your house, I served you 14 years for your two daughters, 6 years for your flock. You changed my wages 10 times if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been for me. Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands. He rendered judgment last night. If we would grow in humility, it would be when we realize that our God sees all. Our God knows all. He never wastes a hurt. He is working all things together for good. And it doesn't do us any good to say, oh, life is just great. There's no suffering. There's no heat. There's no frost. Life is great. No, life is hard. But God is great. He sees you. He sees me. And he's at work. He's protecting us. And you have no idea all the times that God has intervened in your life to accomplish good and you weren't even aware of it. You have no idea all the times that God has shown up in your life and he's protected you and he's preserved you and he sees all and he knows all and he's causing all things to work together for good. And one day, our God who causes all things to work together for good will make everything right. One day, the God of all the universe will render judgment and everything sad will come untrue and everything good will be with us forever. Believe it. It'll humble you. It'll humble you. It humbled Jacob. Life humbles us. Chapter 32, verse 1. Now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Jacob, when he saw them, said, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. 
Jacob has left trouble with Laban behind, but there's more trouble ahead. His brother Esau, 20 years earlier, Jacob had stolen his brother's birthright. And now, having fled from Canaan 20 years earlier, he's returning to Canaan and he doesn't know whether the hatred and animosity between Esau and Jacob has been set aside. He doesn't know. Is his brother going to kill him? Is he still angry with him? There's trouble ahead of Jacob. There's more lessons of humility to learn. Verse 6. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Jacob needs better servants. He had told them to go and speak to Esau, but it seems to me that all they did was they went out towards Esau, they came over the crest of a hill, and they saw Esau and 400 men. They turned around and came back. They said, Jacob, your brother's coming, and he's bringing men with him, 400 men. And Jacob is afraid. So he divides his companies in two, and the Jacob who had left Canaan 20 years earlier would have stopped right there. He would have said, well, I have a plan. But the Jacob who has learned humility through his life doesn't stop with his planning. The Jacob who has learned humility through life prays. And humility causes us to call upon God and Dependent prayer, verse 9. O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is true too great to be numbered. Jacob has learned humility. And he prays in dependent prayer to his father. And at the very center of his prayer is an acknowledgement of his need. Is an acknowledgement of his humility. Verse 10. I am unworthy. The word unworthy in Hebrew literally means I am small. Maybe some of your translations say something like, I am the least. Jacob has learned humility and independent prayer. He says, Father, I don't deserve all that you've given me. I am small, but you are big. I am little, but you are great. I am nothing, and you are everything. Jacob has learned humility. 
Is life shrinking you? Is life shrinking me? Now we come to verse 22. This is the very center of Jacob's humiliation. And he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. And so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of the hip. This is the defining moment of Jacob's humiliation. He had gone out strong, but he comes home weak. He had gone out in his own strength. He comes back limping. He had gone out from Canaan as one who stole a blessing. He comes back to Canaan with the gracious blessing of God. He went out lying and cheating and stealing to secure the blessing of his father. Now he comes back to Canaan with the blessing of his heavenly father. He left Canaan with nothing. And he comes back having seen God face to face. And God is everything. In his time in Haran, he had, he had married his wife. And on the night in which he married her, he had seen her. But he didn't recognize her. He married the wrong woman. And now he's seen God face to face. And he is not killed. This is sheer grace. This is humiliating grace. This is free grace. This is amazing grace that Jacob has received from God. He's touched by God. He's face to face with God. And God gives him what his heart has longed for all his life. He strives with God and he's blessed. He's blessed. The honor that he had longed for, that his heart had longed for, he finally has. Well, it's time. It's time to come home to Esau. Chapter 33, verse 1. Jacob lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau was coming. 
and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids and their children in front and Leah and her children next and Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. The Jacob who had left Canaan 20 years earlier, if he was the same man now that he was then, he would have stood behind his companies. He would have hidden behind his stuff. But the Jacob who's coming back to Canaan leads his people, limping as he went. The Jacob who returns to Canaan bows down to his brother seven times. A complete humbling before Esau. Complete humility. Life humbles us. But oh, what a gift. The 20 years of life have brought Jacob. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and blessed him. And they wept. Does that sound familiar? Isn't it what Seth reminded us of this morning? Isn't it the same thing that the father does for the prodigal in Luke 15? That the father ran and embraced him and hugged his neck. And Esau, moved with love for Jacob, runs and embraces him and they weep together. The reconciling love of the gospel. The reconciling peace of the gospel in our divided world. How on earth are we ever going to see reconciliation like this? Brothers who were at such odds that one ran away from the other as the other was filled with murderous hatred for his brother. Where are we going to see reconciliation like this? Only in the gospel. Only in Jesus, who tells us that the Father's love chases after us, that the Father's love embraces us, that the Father's love weeps over us, that the Father's love is ours in Christ. Oh, that would humble us. That would make us humble. He lifted his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. He said, what do you mean by all this company which I have met? And he said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. And Jacob said, no, please, if now I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand, for I see your face as one sees the face of God, and you have received me favorably. Please take my gift which has been brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me because I have plenty. Thus he urged him and he took it. 
20 years earlier, Jacob had stolen a blessing from his brother. Now, in humility, he comes back to his brother. And in verse 11, please take my gift. And it's the Hebrew word, blessing. The heel grabber who had stolen a blessing that wasn't his now comes back to his brother and he says, take my blessing. Take my gift. He's generous. Life humbles us. It makes us generous people. Do I have the humility that God wants to work in me through this life? Have I learned obedience that always comes with humility? Have I learned to see that God is working in my life through every circumstance? Have I learned to depend upon the Father in dependent prayer? Have I learned to trust Him? Am I learning to be generous? Is God working humility in me? And if I wanted it, then where would I get it? If I wanted humility, where would I get it? You see, Jacob is a hero, but he's not a savior. We get the humility God wants us to have through life by trusting Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. And if you look at Jacob's life, seeking to emulate Jacob's humility, if you make humility a law that says, God will love me if I'm humble, God will provide for me if I'm humble, then we turn humility into a law and we make it destroy us. Because we can't obey. We can't make ourselves humble. Humility must be a gift of grace through the gospel. Humility must be something we receive. Jacob was touched by God. In the night when he was face to face with God, he was touched by God. And it was God who humbled Jacob. And not Jacob. And it's God who humbles us through the gospel. It's God who humbles us through Jesus. Jesus is the better Jacob. Jesus is the one to whom Jacob points. Because 1,800 years later, after Jacob, Jesus would be alone with the Father at night. And on that night, when Jesus was alone with the Father, he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. The cup of God's wrath poured out against sinners. Jesus said, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not what I will but yours be done. And the answer from the Father to the Son is there's no other way. There's no other way for sinners to be reconciled to me. There's no other way for me to welcome home my children from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. There's no other way but through your sacrifice. Jacob was touched on his hip, but Jesus Christ was crushed for you and for me. The punishment 
that I deserved, that you deserved, was placed upon Jesus. He suffered and died in my place so that I could be reconciled to the Father. So that you could be reconciled to the Father. Jesus. Jesus was humbled so that life could humble us. Jesus was crushed so that we could be embraced. Jesus shed drops of blood in weeping so that we could receive the tears of joy from the Father when we're welcomed home. The gospel, the gospel is what humbles us. Jesus is the better Jacob. And the only question left for us this morning is what will you do with it? What will you do with it? And what I'm inviting you to do this week is to learn to walk humbly with Jesus. To learn to walk humbly with Jesus. Won't you believe the gospel? The gospel says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. The bad news of the gospel is this. We're all proud. We all come into this world saying, God, I know better than you how to live my life. I know better than you what to do. I'm wiser than you are. And God in his mercy and God in his grace chooses through the good news of the gospel to humble us, to make us small, to shrink us. So that Jesus can be big, so that God can be big. The gospel says he gives grace, ill-deserved favor. It's grace that humbles us. It's the good news of the gospel that humbles us. It's grace. And so now, now we say with Paul, I suffer, but I do not give up because I'm convinced of this. I know whom I have believed. And I am confident that he is able to keep what I've entrusted to him against that day. I know whom I've believed. His name is Jesus. I know whom I believed. Not when I believed. That's temporary faith. Not what I believed. That's head knowledge. Not that I believed. That's faith in faith. No, I know whom I've believed. How about you? We're invited to walk humbly with a person. His name is Jesus. He's alive from the dead. And he says, follow me. And we say, yes, I humbly follow you. And that's why we come to this table. Because we've said yes to following him. Jesus is the better Jacob. John 14, 6. I am the way. Jesus is the better Jacob. He'll get us safely home. Walk humbly with him. He's the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is wiser than we are. Walk humbly with him. Jesus is the life. In Jesus is life eternal. Walk humbly with him. His life got you beaten up. His life got you beaten down. Has 2020 been too much? Yes. Of course it has. 
Life humbles us. It humbles all of us. But Jesus, Jesus, the better Jacob, has come. And he'll bring us safely home. Do you know anyone who's beaten up, beaten down? Tell him. Tell him the good news of the gospel. The reconciling love of Jesus. The sacrificial love of Jesus. That in dependence upon him, he would get us safely home. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We trust you to get us safely home. Father, you've begun a good work in us. Jesus, you've done it all. You welcome us by your grace. Holy Spirit, you've moved in. and You want to work humility in us. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that's brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Father, if there's any here who have never received Jesus, who have never put their trust in Jesus, who can't say today, I know whom I've believed, oh, Holy Spirit, would you work? Would you work in hearts now that some in this room would say to you for the first time, Father, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe you died and rose again for my salvation. Be my Savior. I want to follow you. Be my Lord. Come into my life. Help me become the person you want me to be. I ask this in Jesus' name. And for all of us here, Oh, give us grace, Jesus, to walk humbly with you. Not just in the week ahead, but until you get us safely home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.